Support for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, work with one that has your best interests in mind. Use Rocket Mortgage for a transparent, trustworthy home loan process that's completely online at quickenloans.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, January 6th, and we're getting a dispatch from our boots on the ground at CES. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com contributor Daniel Klein. Dan, how's it going over in Las Vegas? Oh boy, it's a little colder than expected, but uh, it's uh, pretty exciting out here. This is kind of like your Christmas, right? You're Mr. Gadget for (laughs) Fool.com. Here's the thing. It's my Christmas if right at the end of Christmas, everything you get gets taken away. (laughs) For... you get to see a lot of really cool stuff. You don't get to take it home, though. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of a lot of demos and trials at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. Um, for folks that may not be as familiar with your work, Dan, I would say that when it comes to trying stuff out and reviewing it, or just buying it for the sake of having a sense of what this consumer technology might be like, you're kind of the king for the fool. I was going to say, in terms of being a dummy who owns 17 smartwatches and an Apple Newton, that's me. <laughs> But this is right up your alley, and I was very excited that you were going to be traveling there and that we'd uh, have you on the ground so we could get a little report on what you've seen so far. The, re- the conference started yesterday, right? Uh, it started for me yesterday. Uh, there, there was a press day before that, but I was uh, stuck in travel problems. It's the second biggest show of the year here in Las Vegas, so getting here is a challenge. Uh, flights get backed up, and because there was some weather... Uh, so that's a little interesting. But what I found most shocking is I wasn't here last year, but I was here two years ago. And if you replace 3D television with 4K television, I'm seeing a lot of the same things. There's booths full of drones. There's a lot of AI. There's a lot of home automation. I'd say the home automation is a little more practical because a lot of it is tied to the uh, Amazon Echo or other or other devices like that, which actually have some penetration. But if you changed those TVs out and told me it was two years ago and I'd fallen into a time warp, that's kind of what it's like here. So your point is that year to year, there hasn't been a big difference. And actually, you weren't, you weren't there last year, so you're talking two I years ago. I was not there last year, it was, so it was two years ago. And two years ago, you walked out and everybody was you know, trying their different smart devices. And I think yesterday, I saw a smart toothbrush uh, that, that performs the same function as that little tablet they give you in sixth grade that turns the plaque red. <laughs> And I saw a smart pillow, a smart mirror, a smart shirt. I'm not even sure what the shirt did. Um, but there's just an awful lot of stuff here that's just mild variants on things that already didn't work. And I'm not seeing, for example, uh, any major uh, evolution in uh, smartphones. I'm not seeing uh, laptops that look different. At least two years ago, you got those portable stick laptops that felt like or computers that felt like they were going to become a thing and never really did. I'm not seeing anything like that. The innovations are incremental. Charging. There's some very interesting quick charge products. There's a lot of uh, device holders that are sort of revolutionary. Um, you know, if you want to wear your smartphone on a ring. There really isn't any category I look at and say, oh wow, that's going to change how we make coffee or change how I get to work or anything like that. It's all very incremental. So if we're not seeing new categories kind of coming out, 
why don't we talk a little bit about the categories that did exist a couple of years ago and maybe what the next phases of those types of devices look like. Um, I know that you've already written a little bit about the smart home market uh, in some of your CES coverage, which is available on Fool.com. This is a category that the Consumer Technology Association, which is the trade group that puts on CES, um, they released a report saying that smart homes would be the most popular means of Internet of Things engagement. Uh, and they're also predicting 29 million units uh, of sales in 2017, which would be over a 60% increase year over year. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you're seeing with that, with respect to that market? Yeah, I mentioned it a few seconds ago. I'm seeing a lot of things that tie into Amazon Echo, uh, Microsoft Cortana, the even even Apple iPhone technologies you already have and you already understand. So two years ago, everybody had a platform. They were trying to get into your living room. They were trying to control things. Now it's much more okay. We know what the platforms are. We we know that you know. 20-whatever percent of Americans have iPhones, and that the Echo has been a, a huge seller. So it's really tying in useful things to that. You know, my mom isn't going to buy a standalone light bulb or a thermos, uh, thermostat device that she then has to get an app for. But if she can plug in a light bulb and, and tell her Amazon Echo, you know, Echo, turn the light on, that's going – she might do that. And we're starting to see – practical implications of sort of the sci-fi reality of walking into your house and saying, you know, kitchen, make me a bagel. And it seems like this is really largely in response to consumer demand for this type of technology, right? This is something that broadly mainstream consumers seem to be kind of clamoring for. I think it was sort of a sneaky backdoor by Amazon. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. When the, Echo came, when the Echo came out, it was really pushed as a music player. And it's a lovely music player. You can Walk into your living room and say, you know, play Bruce Springsteen, and it'll play whatever you like. Um, and then they slowly, and we have a full skill on there. You can listen to this podcast by asking for it. Um, and that became very useful. So it's not a huge leap when you're already using that. If you're, you know, if you're already using Siri to give you directions, it's not crazy to ask a Siri-enabled device, whether that be a phone or Apple TV or whatever it is, to give you a recipe and eventually to tie into, you know, maybe monitoring the temperature of your house. It's gone from something your, your you know, cool geeky friend would have to, oh, okay, I already understand this, and now I can go to Target and buy this device, and that will integrate this way, and you're seeing a lot of that. Now, plenty of stuff that will never make it, make it to the home, and I think there's a, there's a level of monitoring. I saw multiple smart home beds, and, you know, I buy you might try the sleep number bed where you can adjust it yourself. I'm not sure you need you know data analytics on how many times you flip over during the night. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a little invasive for the bedroom, I think. It, it, it's just you know pe- people are trying to give you data you're not looking for. Now, for some person, if if you're not sleeping, that might be very useful. But it becomes a niche, and the the real winners are going to be people that provide everyday usefulness. You know, the first time you could put coffee beans in a Mr. Coffee and program it so when you woke up something was there, you know, and you, you didn't have to do that in the morning, that was a practical innovation. And you're really starting to see that with home automation now. Okay, so talked about home automation. One of the other categories you mentioned was VR and AR. And this seems to be where one of the segments that might enjoy the most year-over-year growth. I know that uh, CTA expects sales of 2.5 million units, or 80%, basically, year-over-year. Uh, what are you seeing with that segment there? 
it's it's all Samsung. Uh, I, I actually had had dinner last night with Jack McCauley, one of the uh, gentlemen who created Oculus, and you know, Samsung licenses the Oculus technology, and he admitted that you know the devices are awkward to wear, and right now it's really a gaming niche, and you're seeing some really interesting gaming technology. What you're not seeing is how it breaks out beyond that. You know, Microsoft isn't here, or at least they're not officially here. And, you know, you might see HoloLens or some product like that have a real commercial application. You, you saw a little bit of it with Google Glass where, you know, a doctor could be using it in the operating room to get outside advice. And you're seeing a lot of high-end sort of plays like that. But you and I, and even me as a gadget guy, I'm not spending $799, $999, whatever it is, to buy a high-end device. But you're going to see a lot more penetration in the 99 to 199 market, whether that be with, with the Samsung product or with the Sony product. And I assume eventually we'll get some version of that for Xbox. And the gaming technology is incredible. Uh, and what you're seeing a lot of advancement in is how your head moves to get rid of some of that motion sickness that's associated with it. And the technology is just leaps and bounds better than it was even a couple years ago. I think one of the ways that you can look at the VR market, particularly with gaming, is the rigs that are dependent on a computer and are generally much costlier, and the and the headsets that you can run with your smartphone and just put your smartphone in. It sounds like the kind of more smartphone-oriented ones um, kind of have a clearer path to market and maybe more mainstream appeal. Is, is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, that's going to be the short-term growth, but I think you might see some of the higher-end devices. You know how now you can go to your local movie theater and they're showing an opera or a sold-out UFC fight or that type of experience, and you might pay $25, $30 for it? It's not crazy to think uh, that someday you're going to go down to your local Dave & Buster's or movie theater or whatever it is, put on a headset, and watch the Super Bowl from the 50-yard line or a NASCAR race, or a concert, or whatever it is. There, there might be some commercial applications that are frivolous like that, that justify a store or a business spending a couple grand for a setup uh, in a way to get a monetary return that isn't just you know a novelty. Hmm. I have to ask this because it's a topic that people love to hear about. <laughs> What's going on with drones at CES? They're everywhere and I have not seen any sort of viable application for them. <laughs> so there are some very cool variations on the uh, the drones you see at Brookstone, the Star Wars fighting drones. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of cool kid game applications. There's a lot of hobbyist, high-end, six, $700. You play with it in your backyard. You spy on your neighbors, you know, whatever <laughs> creepy thing you're doing with it. There are dozens of people showing drones and nobody explaining why I'm going to buy it and what I'm going to do with it, uh, other than you know, sort of some very, you know, some some very silly things. You know, there are obviously commercial applications of drones. Uh, Walmart is using them to do inventory in its warehouses. You're not seeing a lot of that there. The the drones are almost exactly what you saw two years ago, except maybe they're a little bit easier to pilot. The technology is very cool, but I don't know. Do you need a drone? What would you do with it? 
Yeah, I don't personally have any use for them. Actually, I don't think as a resident in the District of Columbia, I can have a drone. I'm pretty sure that uh, they don't allow that, uh, at least near the Capitol. So, uh, um, I, I certainly don't have a use case for one. It has seemed for a long time like um, the more upscale camera shoot type drones, if you're trying to get big landscape shots or things like that, maybe uh, farmers using them for agricultural purposes. Obviously, Amazon has delivery intentions with drones. Um, it's going to be a lot more kind of targeted enterprise stuff than mainstream consumer tech, at least in my eyes. See, I, I don't think, you know, I know Amazon's putting a lot of effort into that. I've seen the videos. I think there's limited applications for that. If you're Amazon, it might make sense to use a drone to deliver to someplace you're never going to send a truck. But I don't picture a sky full of drones, you know, de- delivering me a bag of gummy bears and you a book and. It does not seem like the most practical way to do it. Um, and that goes to something else I've seen a lot of here, robots. There are, I'll call them fake robots, because a real robot, you know, this isn't, um, you know, this isn't a robot with a personality that you don't have to tell it what to do. It's really an iPad strapped to a robot that has a little bit of AI programming, so it smiles when you say hello. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're everywhere. They look like people. They look like sort of the, the end scene in, in Battlestar Galactica when, when you, know, you start to see robots uh, taking over the world. But again, like the drones, they do some interesting AI stuff, but they don't really have any more technology than the robots from the 80s that were really just RC cars that you could you know, use to bring your friend a drink. Now, the companies that are behind those types of robots, are there any big players in that, or are these mostly kind of small startups? They're small startups, and look at me from some of the big players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to directly say who because I don't, I don't remember. But you do see robots at some of the larger, higher end booths. But I think it's more to flag down your attention. It's not, you know, it's not the product they're going to bring to market. Just like there's some concept cars here. Uh, there's a lot of driverless technology, a lot of really interesting driver-assisted technology. But they're really just to get headlines. You know, they're years away, and you might see aspects of them. But I don't think there's any viable player in the U.S. who thinks that you know tomorrow in your house you're going to have a robot butler who is powered by an iPad. <laughs> it just doesn't seem practical quite yet. Yeah, trade shows, uh, particularly CES, are full of uh, maybe flashy, somewhat gimmicky gadgets uh, to try to attract attention. We're going to talk a little bit about that in the second half of the show. But before we do, support uh, for Industry Focus comes from Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. When it comes to the big decision of choosing a mortgage lender, it's important to work with someone you can trust who has your best interests in mind. With Rocket Mortgage, you'll get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Don't waste your time searching through stacks of paperwork. With Rocket Mortgage, you can securely share your financial information to get a mortgage approval in minutes. You can adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you get the mortgage solution that's right for you. Whether you're looking to buy a home or refinance your existing mortgage, you can lift the burden of getting a home loan with Rocket Mortgage. Skip the bank, skip the waiting, and go completely online at quickenloans.com fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Thanks again to Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans for supporting our podcast. So, Dan, I tease that there are a lot of maybe more gimmicky um, less useful or less recognizably mainstream application type technology being shown off uh, at some of these trade shows. What is the coolest thing 
or what are some of the very cool things that you've seen? <laughs> well, a- after spending a day walking around, the uh, the booth full of massage chairs looked looked pretty inviting. <laughs> I bet. Um, but but really, you know, the, the coolest stuff I'm seeing are are things I can imagine actually having. Um, there are some call them uh, you know hover sled like transportation devices that sort of build off the Segway model that you could see maybe eventually being a practical urban way of getting around. You're also seeing a lot of really cool home automation stuff that I don't think is going to be mainstream, but for some of us who are, are very tech-oriented, you know, it's more practical in the next year or two for me to really make everything in my house you know, work on a voice command. Um, and I can see some ways to do that. I've also seen some very cool wearables where, you know, whether it's interacting with a video game or controlling a drone or a robot, there's some very cool gloves and, and other devices that, you know, seem like fun. Whether these are ever going to make it to market, that's very hard to know. Yeah, I think that that's one of the most important things that you have to keep in mind when you see buzz from CES or South by Southwest or really any tech trade show is you have people trying to make a splash and trying to get headlines and get a lot of press. And that leads to, uh, in some ways, like needless innovation or innovation without a marketplace necessarily. I remember at South by Southwest in Austin last year, one of the coolest things I saw, bar none, was a VR headset rig um, that used an Oculus headset, but then also had this basically like a fighter jet type pod. And so you put on the headset, you got in the pod, and the headset reacted to the movements of the pod itself. And so you could be flying upside down, doing tumbling, you know, 360s, whatever, and that's what you were experiencing in the headset. It was fully immersive. I was talking to the guys who developed it afterwards, and I said, so what's the application here? How are you guys going to bring this to market? Because this seems like it was something that probably cost about $500,000, a million dollars to develop. I can only imagine it's going to be extremely expensive to buy as a consumer. They said, you know, we're not really sure yet. We're in the business of making cool stuff and then kind of figuring it out later. And, <laughs> you know, like that, that that's, that's go ahead, Dan. That's, that's the theme of the day here. I mean, I, so, you know, I, I walk around the show and I picture myself, you know, walking with the Shark Tank people and just dismissing 80% of these as, you know, cool but a bad idea. And th- there's so much innovation that doesn't solve a problem. You know, I don't need my smart shirt to tell me I'm sweating because it's hot. Right. You know, and, and there's so much of that. And when you look at technology, w- what technology do people buy? If it's truly transformative, you might buy something you never thought you needed. But for the most part, if it doesn't solve a problem for you, you're not going to spend money on it. So, you know, a smart mirror that tells you your lipstick is smudged, which is pretty much something you can see in a regular old dumb mirror, (laughs) isn't going to break through no matter how cool it is. And the price tag on all this stuff, you know, it's one thing if Apple says, we're going to give you something you don't need, but we can make a billion of them and price it accordingly. When it's one of these small booth companies here that has, you know, some sort of innovative, uh, tracking system for, I don't know, a smart plate so you can you know keep track of what you're eating and, and lose weight. That sounds very cool, but it's just never going to become a mainstream product. Yeah, I think that as an investor, you need to 
take whatever excitement you have, whatever the tech side of you that gets really excited about uh, what you're seeing at some of these trade shows, and always kind of bring it back around to okay, what does the addressable market realistically look like? You know, for some of these businesses, and you know, to to bring it to companies that are you know publicly traded and very popular now, you can even see um, you know you look at GoPro or Fitbit. You know, these are businesses that maybe the market thought the addressable market was a lot larger than it actually is, and they've hit saturation a little bit quicker. So, uh, I mean, these are wildly popular consumer devices. Um, so, to scale that back down, some of these extremely niche, uh, especially kind of the smart solutions like the mirrors and the plates you're talking about, uh, it's tough to see that really getting mainstream appeal. Yeah, but now the interesting thing is, you know, two years ago, maybe maybe longer than that, I would have looked at the robot vacuum, which is, you know, now you can find them for in the three hundred dollar range, maybe even less on sale. But when those were five or six hundred dollars, I looked at it and went. Okay, that's kind of cool, but nobody's going to spend this kind of money. And I was wrong. (laughs) That's become a breakout category, and it's pushed the prices down. It's expanded the market. I don't know if it'll ever be, you know, something everyone has. It's not correct for every home, but that was an example of something that seemed a little ridiculous that broke through the market. And I'm sure there's products like that here, but I haven't seen anything, you know, even as a real, you know, tech guy. That that I've got. Oh my God! Sell me one of those. I don't care what the price is. Yeah. So Dan, uh, we're coming to the close of the show here. Before I let you go, what can people expect uh, for future coverage from you for the next couple of days? Anything to look forward to? Anything you're really excited about? Um, anything like that? I'm gonna I'm gonna spend today looking at things that may actually impact you. So I'm gonna go over and look at uh, the new product that Dish introduced, where you can integrate over-the-air television with uh, some of your streaming services and making all that one box. I'm, I'm going to try to focus on you know, things like, okay, this is a practical battery charger that I might buy that's already on the market. I'm going to sort of get away from the fanciful and, and look at, you know, these are the five things from CES that like, you can buy in a store next week that you might actually buy. Hmm. Uh, well, we'll be looking forward to reading it. Uh, listeners, if you want to check out any of Dan Klein's coverage, uh, you can find it on his author page on Fool.com. We also have Supernova team lead David Kretzman at CES. You can find all of his content at ces.fool.com. Thanks for joining us on today's show, Dan. Thank you. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you just want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus@fool.com. You can always tweet us at MFIndustryFocus as well. If you like the show and are looking for more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can check out the Fool's family of shows at fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. For Dan Klein, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. Fool on.